Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Radically Loved Podcast. We're joined by a very special guest today. He is my writing mentor extraordinaire. He is uh, like one of my one of my heroes. I'm sure he's going to hate hearing that, but whatever. I'm going to say it anyway. Stephen Cutler is one of the world's foremost experts on human peak performance and the New York Times bestselling author of The Art of Impossible, The Rise of Superman, and others. And he is here today to talk about his latest cyberpunk novel called The Devil's Dictionary. I can't wait to share this conversation with all of you. It is a must read, and I'm excited to share this conversation with Stephen Cutler. Listen up, friends. I've got some great news for you. My friends over at Bioptimizers have put together a truly irresistible offer that is only good while stock lasts. Here's the deal. You'll get a free bottle of their best-selling enzyme supplement called Mazimes. And you'll get a copy of their book, From Sick to Superhuman. You'll get a free copy of The Ultimate Carnivore Cookbook. And you'll get a free copy of Plant-Based Superfood Delights. This bundle has a total value of $81, but they'll send it to you for free. And this, my friends, is a very rare deal. So why should you take advantage of this free bundle offer besides the fact that it's all free? Well, Mazimes is a powerful best-in-class enzyme supplement that improves digestion, reduces gas and bloating, and provides relief from constipation. You'll want to take the supplement daily, even if you eat all healthy organic food. Why? Because your body produces fewer enzymes as you age, so it becomes harder to quickly digest and assimilate food. Taking Mazimes daily can help you fill those gaps. So after you start taking Mazimes, you may notice that you no longer feel bloated after meals and that your belly feels a little flatter. And if you have leaky gut, Mazimes could reduce gut irritation and help you absorb more nutrients. Like I said, this free bundle offer, which includes a bottle of Mazimes plus three free ebooks, is only available while stock lasts. So you'll want to go to this exclusive link to take advantage of it. That's mazimes.com forward slash radically loved free. Oh, and in case you're wondering, there are no strings attached for this offer. There is no automatic subscriptions or renewals, so there's nothing to cancel. All you have to do is go to mazimes.com forward slash radically loved free. Now go get your exclusive free bundle, my friends. Oh, or you can check out the link that's linked to this specific podcast. If you don't feel like typing everything that I just said, hit the info button and you'll see the link to get your free bundle today. The first round of going through the Devil's Dictionary, it's a good standalone for anybody that's watching this. If this is your first introduction to Stephen Kotler work, I hope it isn't, but it is definitely a standalone. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. 
I love that it was the theme around empathy and ecosystems and you not leaving us in this place where sometimes these cyberpunk novels, they go really post-apocalyptic and it's just this like dilapidated experience, you know, but at the same time, like you're being faced with all of these issues that just feel very akin to what's happening in the world right now. And yeah, so what I was telling you is I I didn't know that this was part two to the last tango. So we've been calling them companion novels. Okay, companion. I like this. Because they're well, also because as far as I can tell, there's a book that sits between the two that I haven't written yet. There's definitely a book pre-last tango that I sort of hint at in last tango. And Ray Kurzweil is the head of AI at Google and like the big genius of future brain computer interface, future science. Yes. Made an offhanded comment to me at an event we did together that about, he was like, you know, all the brain computer implants that are coming that are going to make humans smarter. We can use them in your dog, Stephen. And I went, what the fuck did you just say? Right. <laughs> and so there's a book clearly that follows Devil's Dictionary where that idea gets explored. I don't know if I'm going to write all these books at all, but like I'm thinking them as companion novels. Okay. I love this. This is really great. I have many questions and obviously like I loved it. I thought it was really good. I thought it was obviously incredibly written as you do. I loved so many of the themes, especially, I mean, you had me at the the animal connection with the, all the different, you know, like the birds and the dogs and the empaths. Like I am such a animal lover that in the beginning I was like, oh God, wait, where is this going to go? I'm really scared, you know, cause I'm just like, I just love animals so much. Same thing. You got to remember that like in my mind, I always know my wife is going to read it. Okay. Right. Good. Like my wife is going to read it. My wife, like, so the man who taught me neuroscience, literally, I, the first time when I, how did I, how did Stephen learn anything about neuroscience? I was reporting a story on a man who was one of the giants of 20th century neuroscience who got there by torturing animals. Like he did the most terrific experiments on animals ever and is hated, like literally like poster child for PETA. I didn't know any of this when I met him. And I met a dude who I was doing a story on, and he was trying to help paraplegics. That's all I knew about this guy. And we're in Case Western Reserve University, he's been talking neurosis and talking my head off for like three hours. And finally, I stopped him. And I was like, dude, I am so sorry. But this is the first time I've ever been able, ever had to say this in an interview. But I don't know what you're fucking talking about. You've been talking for two hours, and I don't actually like, like you lost me at the end of hour one. And he said, oh, and I said, but I really want to understand because I really want to write this story. I think it's cool. And he spent two weeks in that where he was retired by then. And he just taught me neuroscience for two weeks straight for like four hours a day. We had class. That was how I learned neuroscience. So the guy who literally mentored me and gave me, right, biotha advisor to two different popes, by the way, also. And the reason that we call death the cessation of brain function, not heart function. That's all this guy, and um, but tortured animals. And I kept wanting to write about him and the, the stuff. 
And my wife said, if you, she threatened to divorce me if I ever write about him, because there's no way to tell his story without talking without telling that. Yeah. And for some people that will glorify the experiments and she's right. It's wrong. But so, yeah, you don't ever have to worry with me because my wife has to read everything. I mean, I figured, you know, but still there's that initial, you know, I can't even watch. Uh, Yeah, I couldn't do it either. But, um, you know. Okay, so for everybody who's like, what are these two people? (laughs) What the fuck are they talking about? Can you tell us, just give us the short brief on the Devil's Dictionary? Yeah, so both Devil's Dictionary and Last Tango, big picture. I wanted to... And you nailed it, like in what you were talking about earlier. I am a firm believer, just from a human performance standpoint, from everything I know about disruptive technology, you can't imagine the future. We're never going to create it, right? Like, period. It, like, the way to the future runs through human imagination. And as you pointed out, every single book about the near-term future is an environmental apocalypse. Every you know, and I like some of those books a great deal. And I read a bunch of them early COVID, like during the lockdown, I actually read a ton of sci-fi and I read like five heartbreaking environmental doom mm. and doom books, right? And they were great, but they were really crushing. And never was I seeing a book where the biggest environmental challenges we now face, climate change and species extinction, were solved. I didn't want a utopia, right? I didn't want a perfect world at all. I wanted like a world where those things had been solved. And the questions I was asking were about what are the technological changes that need to happen for those problems to be solved? And more importantly, what are the changes in us as people, as humans, right? In terms of how we feel empathy, how we relate to animals, how we relate to ecosystems and plants and those kinds, what are those kind of changes are going to look like? Because both, you know, the technology and kind of the soul are going to have to change to solve these problems. And that's an atheist soul, right? I'm using them, the atheist sense yeah. of the term, right? A more agnostic sense of the term, at least. Yeah. So that was the world I was interested in. And simultaneously, in Devil's Dictionary, the smaller version, like what's, there's a story. And for the, this to make sense, you have to understand one environmental idea that's been around for a long time, which is megalinkages. So megalinkages, the idea is if you want to protect animals, they migrate, they have huge home ranges sometimes, and they need room. If they're going to procreate, right, we're going to save them from extinction. They need to have lots of babies. So animals like a lot of home range, and like the ability to go north and south and east and west. So the idea of megalinkages is, hey, let's take all our national parks and let's connect them together by a, a web of so-called migration corridors, skinny lines that animals can move across. If you've seen any of the freeway overpasses in and around L.A. and other places where they're building animal overpasses, right, those are migration corridors that are linking wildlands together so the animals can now move safely through the environment. And there's a whole bunch of environmental reasons we can talk about why those things matter. Mm -hmm. I was looking at billionaires today competing to go into space. Elon Musk versus Jeff Bezos, right? I've written about space. Peter Diamandis is my partner, XPRIZE. I've got some history there. And I'm like, you know, in the future, if we're going to solve these things, billionaires are going to be competing to create mega languages in, and just like in their own image, in their own way, in their same sort of thing. And we're going to have like billionaires doing like these huge environmental projects for ego in the same way today. And once you have competing billionaires, you've got cyberpunk, you've got like menacing shadow corporations. And so our hero gets hired by one of these guys because his mega language 
suddenly there are new species that have never been seen before on Earth showing up in the mega languages. That's followed by dead bodies. So that's the story starts from there where our hero, Lion Zorn, gets sucked in. What the hell is going on here? And it unfolds from there. But I wanted it set in a world where these large environmental challenges have been solved. But as you kind of found out along the way in the book, that produces all kinds of other yes. society, right? Because you have, you can't help plants and animals without pissing off certain people who are like, why aren't you helping people? Why are you helping plants? Why are you helping animals? We saw this when we were working in New Mexico uh, with dogs because New Mexico, where we were, especially was very Catholic. And until very recently, the Catholic Church taught that dogs don't have a soul and you should work with people and not dogs. And this was a prevailing attitude. So we people would find out we were working with dogs and they'd be mad at us for not working with children because children need the real help. Right. First of all, I was like, really, there's a love shortage. Like, can't we work with both? But you, Right. Yeah. Seriously. But it was that kind of backlash. And you see it in the environmental movement on political sides and things like that. But like this was like real human like species, like no, no, humans first. Dogs don't deserve our help. People deserve yeah. our help. That was like to bump into that, that hardcore was interesting. But that's sort of, I wanted to look at those kinds of emotional, for lack of a better term, maybe social yeah. cultural challenges. So that's the high level you know, down to like. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, and I mean, there's topics, there's neuroscience, there's technology, there's environmental rights. I mean, it really does go into a tapestry of different topics, which, and I think it was very, very beautifully written, obviously. Oh, and, and I really enjoyed it. I'm curious, empathy is such a huge topic. I mean, it's essentially the. Oh, the, it's the yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like the, the yeah, foundation. The book's, the book's major theme is empathy for all, right? What do we need to solve the big environmental challenges? And we can talk about where this comes from and why I'm talking about it in a second. But empathy, the empathy for all is empathy for all people, of course, but also for plants and animals and ecosystems. And my point is, and there's a bunch of reasons, neurobiological and psychological, empathy extends our sphere of caring. That's the big deal here, right? And if we're going to save ecosystems and environments we got to start caring about forests the way we feel about friends and family and oceans the way we feel about like our our tribe kind of thing and to really care about this stuff as we care about ourselves that's sort of what it's going to take that is there's a term for that that the term scientists use is nature relatedness and or used to be called ecological awareness now we call it nature relatedness and how there's sort of like, this is our ability to see, perceive, and care about the natural world. Flow, which I study, which is peak human performance, when we're in flow, especially if we're having a flow experience outside in nature, it automatically expands empathy, automatically expands ecological awareness. These things just happen. So the more time you spend in flow, wider empathy, the more ecological awareness. Now that things can block it and get in the way. It's not just flow, by the way. You can get there through meditation practices. There are a bunch of different meditation practices that do it. And there's a massive amount of work out of uh, we, psychedelics can also do it. And it, the most recent work done by Robin Card Harris in Imperial College London, where they do all the best brain imaging on this is your brain on DMT, this is your brain on MDMA. We've done a lot of research with Robin's lab because we were looking at the overlap between 
psychedelics and flow and where do they overlap and where are they apart. But Robin's got a brand new paper out where he literally talks about how if you do psychedelics in nature and he looked at LSD, psilocybin, I want to say MDMA in nature, it expands uh, nature relatedness. And what happens when nature relatedness expands automatically is environmental activism goes up with it. So if you increase empathy beyond the border of species, what's called cross-species empathy, you get nature relatedness and automatically people start caring more about the environment and acting towards it. So yeah. very tightly webbed together. That was in the book. I use a psychedelic, a new psychedelic, right? That's, that's part of it is the technology I'm using that was specifically designed for these purposes to kind of boost not just nature relatedness, but animal relatedness as well. So that was, you know, what I was playing with because I was like, how the hell you know, it's either I have to teach everybody to be hyper flow prone and like, I'm doing it. That's the flow research collective. Like we do that work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And don't kid yourself. We have trained, I can't name the agencies, but we've trained a lot of law enforcement agencies and three letter agencies in the past two years since the social justice movement got everyone's attention. And suddenly people were like, oh, wow, cops need more empathy. How do we do that? You need, you know, your options, loving kindness, meditation or flow training or psychedelics. Which do you think the cops are going to go for, right? Right. So it's been really interesting to do like this kind of work, you know, inside of, for example, law enforcement has been really interesting. But like, you know, that's one of the reasons the Flow Research Collective, my organization exists is because it over time will cause everybody who trains with us to be more empathetic and to have larger, you know, nature-relatedness, ecological awareness. So I was trying in the book to do it faster, right? I was like, okay, what happens if we get there overnight and what kind of problems does that cause? Right. Yeah. And it's really great. I mean, I I think it's such a great, I don't even want to say metaphor. I mean, it's it's the reality of what can happen and what is already happening now, you know, just from a different lens. I think our ability to you know, I think you talked about, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong. It's like I've read, I would say, 90% of your books, and sometimes I get them all intermixed. But you talk about this in abundance, I think, right? Where you're talking about the ecosystems or our ability to, yeah, like there is, there are ways. I, for, it's abundance and faster, I want to say. Okay. And by the way, you're not the only one. I like, I don't know what's in what book. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to test you, <laughs> you know next I mean? time. I, know, I, I mean, I really like, I know what the current book is in Devil's Dictionary because I've been talking about it, but like once you go past there, well, also because all the things, and, and you think that's funny. There's a thousand <laughs> magazine articles that preceded the books and like probably 5,000 blogs. And so I'll be reading stuff that I wrote for psychology today, where I wrote a blog for five years that I wrote back in the early two thousands. And I'll be like, Holy shit. That same idea is in last time or cyberspace, you know, like that's so cool. it's not just you. Yeah. Okay. It's me. So that being said, I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, I will. I, so you'll, you'll laugh, but why did I write Abundance with Peter Diamandis in the first place? Mm-hmm. It was two reasons. One was coming out of writing Small Furry Prayer, my book about the relationship between humans and animals, I was trying to help more animals and help more people who wanted to help more animals. And I was asking questions because I was at 
tech writer forever. I'd been covering technology forever. I was saying, well, I cover a lot of environmental technology. What environmental technologies do we need to solve these problems? And I was looking at if Megalink just had been around since the 70s, and this was the biggest environmental idea that anybody, it's the best idea anybody's had about how to save species and protect ecosystem services. And other than you know, carbon sequestration, which is like sort of frontline, we have to do that now. This is the second most important thing we should be doing immediately is creating mega languages. And this is everybody's doing it. Like it's the UN's plan. It's pretty much every country's plan to be climate change. Like mega languages are woven and they don't use the term mega languages. They talk about protecting 30% of the oceans and 20% of the land mass. And that's an ESG goal. But old idea, been around forever. And, but I was just like, well, if this is going to be a good thing, we need land. And like, how do we get land? And I was like, okay, the only place to get land is agriculture and ranching. And so I started investigating cultured beef, steak from stem cells, and vertical farms, because it moves the farms from the country to the city and puts them in skyscrapers where people are. And these were the first two technologies. And I realized these two technologies alone link them together. And the land that you liberate, give back to the animals for rewilding. And this is exactly what's happening all over Europe and starting to happen here in America a little bit. This is like step one. Wow, it's right there. We could do this. And then you could, I created incentive programs where you could you know, pay farmers instead of, you know, for growing crops, we can now pay farmers for mining the land, and taking care of the, the land that they love anyways. And there was a whole platform around it. And I was like, okay, this is great. This would work. But like, there's nobody's going to believe Stephen Calder can save the world ever. <laughs> like, seriously, like I, what authority, and especially that, like what authority do I have whatsoever? Like this, this shit would work. It's a good idea. But like, I mean, they're going to have to start up organization where this is all we do or i'm gonna need some street cred right my phone rang and it was peter demand and she's like dude i've got this idea for this book and he had all the how to help people and i had all the how to help plants and animals and i was like as he's like talking to me i've literally got a napkin taped into my computer in front of me that has like the 11 environmental technologies i'd like to write about in the book and he's talking and it's like okay we can help people and we could do this with healthcare. I was like, Peter, I've got the other half of your book sitting in front of me. So yeah, these ideas are really old with me. And I've been trying to talk about, because whenever you say mega languages in abundance in the other books, people sort of glaze over, they yeah. don't get it. And I was like, okay, let's just create a world where there are mega languages and let's tell a story in them so people can see what a mega language looks like and wrap their head around the idea. Because most people, once they sort of wrap their heads around idea, the idea... They like it. I yeah. you know what I mean. Most people are like, oh, this is really cool. We could absolutely do this. I haven't really run into that many opponents of the idea, though probably the large cattle ranching operations won't like me, but they're going away anyways. There's going to be boutique, organic, and what and yeah. in vitro meat. Like if you look at the in vitro meat cultured beef portfolios and the rising price of, of meat at this point, that's what's going to happen in the next three yeah. years, five years. Well, so, that's hopeful. Right. I mean, that's something to look forward to. People don't, there's a lot to be, the world is very exciting right now. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot to look at and pay attention to, but there's also a lot of, you know, COVID, for example, gave us an massive breakthroughs, not just forget the vaccines. You can, whoever you feel about vaccines doesn't matter. The AI in healthcare. Yeah. 
movement, the new health, all that stuff, right? That was first. Where, by the way, where do you think it goes right after healthcare? The next stop down is agriculture because the same AI technology that gets you a new medicine gets you a new way of creating cultured beef, bluefin tuna from stem cells now with no animals harmed along the way and we don't have to drag net the ocean. And so all that stuff got very real. And if you look at, uh, I've been paying attention to, I pay a lot of attention to venture capitalists and how they spend money for the environment and what they're funding. This year was the first year we saw a trillion dollars investment in green energy, which is the largest record anybody's ever set. So like the green, green energy is, that's an insane amount of money. And adoption rates are really high. Next year, we'll see electric cars at 30% of what people are buying. So those numbers are trending. But And the reinvention of agriculture is what's happening next. And right, and that's coming along. So you're, I am seeing this stuff. I am actually hopeful. Is it too late already? Meaning, have we gone too far? Have we crossed a bunch of tipping points? Species extinction is really severe. Fire is yeah. really severe. Like there's some of them where you're, you have to start asking really, you know, interesting questions there or complicated questions. But no, I am. I like, I know there's a lot to be unhelpful about in the world. And I, and I agree. I'm seeing the same thing that everybody else is seeing. But yeah. I am seeing a bunch of environmental stuff. In fact, every, this is way off topic, sort of, but related to the book. Harvard Business Review actually wrote this article, and I had been saying it all year. It was like, for the, I've been working on environmental shit for 30 years and animal rights for 30 years. And for 29 of those years, I was a dude shouting at the rain, like everybody else working in the environment. That's all that happened, right? A lot of us shouted at the rain for a very long time. And last year, companies making environmental goals part of their like reality it, triple bottom line companies. We've been talking about it since the '90s, and you know, I wrote a corporate social responsibility report for the first time for somebody in 2005. They got real this year, like real, like the actual actual stuff is happening. It took a while, but like so, those people, those of us who have sort of been poking at the environmental issues on the front lines for a really long time, it was awful forever, and now today, it's not actually. I mean, what's going on is awful. But where the environmental movement finally got to, no, it's hopeful right now. When did beauty get so complicated? So much time, too much money, and not enough, well, what works for you? That's why Kitsch was created, to simplify self-care and beauty products that give you a major boost so you can go on to the next thing. Kitsch offers game-changing, time-saving beauty essentials for hair, skin, and body. Whatever your budget, your skin type, your hair type, Kitsch believes you deserve little indulgences at affordable prices, morning, noon, and night. They started in 2010 by selling hair ties door-to-door, literally just hustle and a dream. Kitsch is self-funded, female-founded, and now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. Their best sellers include satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks, which are my favorite. Satin is vegan and cruelty-free, which is also my favorite. And it's not like silk, which was made from silkworms. These are so great for your hair and skin while you sleep. These satin pillowcases, I'm telling you, changed my life. Kitsch is offering you 30% off of your entire order at mykitsch.com forward slash loved. That's right, 30% off of anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H 
kitsch.com forward slash loved. Mykitsch.com forward slash loved for 30% off of your order. Oh, that's good. I mean, that really is good to hear in the plethora of all the negativity that's still happening. You know, it's good to know that there is, there are people making decisions that are going to be helpful for our future. You know, I, I remember reading about the extinction of the endangered species of the monarch butterflies and how devastating that will be for many oh, other you, species. Have you read the well, the recent, most recent research out of California? They try, I can't remember what it is. You're going to ask me what it is, and I won't know, but they tried something really weird to bring back the monarch populations to California, and it worked remarkably well. Like I just read a monarch rebound because of surprise science. I'm not saying pop problem solved, but like somebody, they did something good last year because I just read that and it caught my attention, which is interesting because it caught my attention because you don't usually hear species extinction. Good news. Yeah. I'll give you another one is that the last, the Iberian lynx, which was surprised, going extinct in the 90s, right? The last big cat in Europe has rebounded as well, a little bit. So that's like, there are the, I mean, by 70% of the species on earth are going to be wiped out by the 21st century if this doesn't stop, right? Like, let's understand like what- The right? reality like, is. And let's also talk about why, because one species has stolen all the food. Like what happened? We stole the land and we stole the food. We said, we deserve it more than all of you. And we took it away. And I don't know how you can come to that conclusion that anymore. Like I don't, on what criteria are you saying? Like we deserve it. I don't. Yeah. Why are we so, why are we bred to be so selfish like what is that from like where does that give you the dog rescue one that 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 i talk about that baffles me the most we euthanize in shelters about eight million dogs a year in america sometimes the numbers go up to 20 million sometimes they drop to two million but eight million is the like not really agreed upon not advertised but that's what most people think is is the real number you'll see different numbers all over the place but eight million is what we think it is if you look at a dog and you you say, well, what criteria do we make this decision to terminate a life based on? Most dogs have, for example, their vocabulary in human, forget in dog, but in human is 60 to about 350 words, somewhere in there. So that's a two to three-year-old human child. They have all the same six to seven core human emotions. And then they actually have all of the core human social emotions. And there's our, they're better at social emotions than we are. Dogs can face read human faces better than, than humans can, for example. So they have more developed social emotions than human social emotions. And if you read Small Furry Prayer, you know that most scientists now believe that humans and dogs co-evolved and we learn most of our social emotions from dogs, right? So they're more vast emotionally than us. They feel pain, right? We know that. They work on canine languages and prairie dogs. We know they think in the past and future tense. So they have memories for what happened to them and they think into the future. So you're essentially talking about a three to four-year-old human child. If we were euthanizing eight million three to four-year-old human child a year in America, what do you think would happen, right? Like, what do you think would happen in the streets tomorrow if that sort of leaked? But that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. 
And by the way, the criteria gets weird, as you know, if you've read last time, was you can make weird arguments. Plant neuroscience is a real field. Mm-hmm. Like 20 years ago, it was a laugh. It was a joke. Plants are right. conscious. Ha ha ha. Funny. Right. But like they process information with all the same neurochemicals we do. They communicate in real time through pheromones. They exhibit altruism. They practice empathy. They compete. Like they process information. You know what I mean? They can yeah. perform calculation. Like, okay, I'm not saying, you know, plant rights are next. But I am saying, wow, you got to start examining your criteria for these things because it's the questions are really weird. That's what I also liked about Devil's Dictionary is because it's set in the future and because you could like put these like pro-environmental things forward into the future, you get to the next set of questions. Right. And they're really weird. And I don't have any answers. I just wanted to think about them. And I know. I'm just like, wait, yeah. what do you, you mean? Know, I, just, I, like, my, I just want other people to read the book. Get That's stuck, why I read it twice. I'm like, wait, I, I need to. Own, and then like sort of talk to me about it. So I can be like, oh, yeah, that's that's cool. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I write books just because I want other people to talk about the ideas with me because like I've taken this shit as far as my brain could take it. So somebody else think about it for a little while and come back to me. Tell me what you did. Or you're just like, I'm like, wait, I got to read this again. <laughs> like I missed it. I missed the answer. It's in here somewhere. Yeah. No, I think that's really, it's really brilliant. And I, I love the conversation starter to be able to have these conversations with people. I have like a, I guess this is more of a, a, personal type of human to human question. What do you do when you encounter somebody that doesn't have the same understanding of animal emotions, soul living as you do? There's answer A and then there's answer B. Answer A is I'm a good communicator. I'm good at talking about hard ideas. I'm good at meeting people where they are. And I could talk to, and I'm a, I was a bartender and then a journalist, so I can talk to anybody, right? And as a bartender, I, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm really good at talking to anybody because those are the skills. So I try to meet people where they are and have the conversation. And I don't have to win. I just got to, like, plant a handful of seeds and have you think about it. Because if you think people are fundamentally good and you think, if I can get them to expand their sphere of caring a little bit, just a little bit farther, they're going to start coming to some interesting conclusions on their own. And I don't have to push much farther. That's all I want is just like, hey, consider this. Think about this ethically and morally in your heart. And just think about these ideas. Like, I'm not going to. These are just the facts. We'll talk about it. like and I don't I'm not going to bombard you with anything not to persuade you. Um, if that doesn't work, I have found that loving kindness meditation is very, 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 you know, mm. so when I'm in the face of any intolerance in the moment, when my choices are get really angry or try to find what, I, like loving kindness meditation is the tool I will reach for, right? Like embarrassing and like, I think that's because I don't know what else to do also. You know what I mean? Mm. I, and, and it's the funny thing about like, I'll give you a really simple example. I was recently went to Utah. I work on something called the Forest Fire Collective. We're trying to protect forests in the American West from catastrophic wildfire. And I was doing an event in Utah that I got brought in to speak to a bunch of 
very high net worth people who could really have made a difference. And it turns out, and we were at a remote ski camp. And when it wasn't a remote ski camp, it was a hunting camp. And I didn't know that going in. And so everybody there, they were skiers, which is why we were there, but they were also hunters in the non-ski season. And some of them were trophy hunters. And like, if you're hunting for food, we can have this conversation. If you're hunting for any other reason, you're fucking torturing animals for fun. And I think you're a horrible sadist and we've got problems. Now, there are a lot of people who disagree with me. It's not a popular opinion, right? But that's my opinion. And suddenly I was in, like, I needed these people to at least listen to me because we're trying to protect the American West from fire. And by a couple of days in, I was having real problems because of the conversations around me about hunting. And it went from like, it wasn't fun anymore for me at all. And, and I kept moving, removing myself from conversations. The, uh, ski camp in the mountains. There are only so many places you can go, right? Like mm-hmm. recently I've been in Yurks. And uh, I found that I had to like real time loving kindness meditation. I, and I luckily I've got been meditating for long enough that I can sort of like get there quicker now. And I can usually, I've gotten better as a result of loving kindness meditation. Not that this is the focus of it, but you know how with anger, there's the, like the part that, you know, routes the soul. And then there's that delicious part. That's really sticky, right? <laughs> which is the problem, right? The part that fires up dopamine and says, yeah. I can win this fucking battle. This yes. is good. Give yeah. me that. Yeah. Bring it. That's delicious. And it's super sticky. And um, one, super deadly in a marriage. Two, super deadly, you know, when you're trying to convince people uh, that you want to punch in the face of something, just, no, no, hear me out. Let's think about animals a little bit differently. Let's think about, right. And I have found that. So human to human, I'm really a persuasive motherfucker. And I use those skills to my utmost. A, that's the first Kung Fu. And when that fails, the second Kung Fu is, you know, Tibetan and love and kindness meditation. Though I don't know how Tibetan mine is because the version I use was recorded, I think, at the University of North Carolina in a class where they were using. Richie Davidson, my my alma mater at the University of Wisconsin, who was one of the three major teams that was doing all the research on Tibetan early meditation, right? Mm -hmm. They started with Tibetan Buddhists because the Dalai Lama was science friendly. So it was the Tibetans who were the first ones to step up and say, hey, Let's use tools of neuroscience. And there was one group that went to Madison. And there was one group that went, I think there was another lineage at Gale, Judson Brewer. And, you know, there's a couple other, but they would all start with Tibetans. And so they started studying compassion meditation and its impact on the brain almost as, as long as they've been studying meditation. So we have great data on what this stuff does. And, and the, thing that i'm we're doing a whole bunch of research on the on the loving kindness meditation and its ability to make visible cognitive biases and habitual behaviors like really fast habitual behaviors because it there's really the new cutting edge of of that neuroscience of, of meditation is there if you're training people in flow over time or peak performance aging two things that we do you have to Self-awareness is sort of mandatory and that real self-awareness means get your cognitive biases out of the way, get your fears out of the way and, you know, get your habitual behavior out of the way and at least be able to see who you are. 
right? You may, you can go back to whoever you want to be, but at least like you've got to have the skills to do that a little bit and interior reception. You have to be able to listen to your gut. You can't do those things. It's really hard to train you in peak performance. I don't care if you want to be better at work. You need these skills to be better, like more productive at work. Ultimately, I can get you far, but usually where people want to go, if they want to go really far, I can't get you there without these kinds of skills especially interior reception. And to do that, I got to get shit out of the way. Right. If I don't want to be a psychologist, which I don't, right? And I mean, even though all everybody coaches for me is a psychologist, I don't want them working on the problems. I want them, we go zero to dangerous. We don't go subpar to zero. That's what psychology does. Great, do that. We don't want to do that. So if I don't want to do that and I want to do what I want to do, I need a tool that's going to be really effective. So we've been using love and kindness meditation and we, I mean, all we've often used focus meditation because it trains a flow, but we're starting to shift a little bit because of some of the advantages yeah, to it. Of, of love and kindness meditation. Yeah. I mean, to me, if there's one meditation that every single human can, should, I don't like to shit on people, but that we could do as a collective that should be taught as part of our curriculum when we're going to school as young children is to learn to do loving kindness meditation. It's a useful one. It's, I mean, it's, it's remarkably, I find, so this is what I found personally, and I don't think it's true for other people, but I think there's, I think I'm, I'm something is going to be true like this. I have found if you do loving kindness meditation every day, it becomes a job. One of the things I like about the Tibetans is, is they understand boredom. They're like, no, no, don't do the same fucking thing yeah. every day. That's stupid. You'd get bored. Whereas like in some of the other traditions, they're like, no, no, this, you're going to use you the mantra. Stick to this. You're going to stick to the mantra for like, 30 yeah. years. And you're like, really, man? Like yeah. who sticks to something for 30 years? Like Nobody. one thing, really? Like you're only going to have chocolate ice cream. Really? You sure? So I like sound meditation mixed in with the love and kindness. I go every other day. Those two things together seem to produce the fastest results for me, especially also if you have a death practice that you do every couple of weeks or whatever. Like that, that though, and I don't think that's just me, but I think it's some combination of how what those things do to the brain and how they work together. And it works, we're trying to like get at the neurobiology of comparative altered states to solve these kinds of emotional problems. Not the question you asked when we're talking about the devil's dictionary. It doesn't matter. It's perfect. It went exactly where it needed to go. I mean, I definitely want to be respectful of your time. And obviously I can talk to you about all of the topics and we can be here for hours and hours. But as I said, I want to be respectful of your time. And I want everybody that's listening to get this book. It's an incredible read. And it's definitely something that I encourage you to read with a pod. I always recommend book reading pods to people. It's like find yourself two friends, get the book for them. And or you guys can all buy the book together and you have conversations. You know, there's I love to be able to especially with novels, because you can talk about the different topics, the storylines or what you think, where this is going. You can answer some of those unanswered questions towards the end that leave you kind of like, wait, what is going on, especially in this book? <laughs> and it makes you want to read it again so that you can understand what's happening. So I highly recommend always to get your pod and read this and, you know, send us your feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know how this book resonated with you. So I do have one final question to ask you. 
I have one final question to ask you. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Are those Edgar Shea prints behind you? They're replicas. Of Edgar Shea prints. Yeah. Right, they are. Yeah. How did you, how did you know that? Well, because first of all, maybe my favorite painting in the universe is Edgar Shea's slobbering drunk at the Palomino which is just these little, have you seen it? It's these little like letter blocks and all it says is slumped and drunk. You know, maybe my like, so one and two, my Ed Ruscha's palm tree paintings are my wife's favorite pieces of art also. Yeah, Um, I love those. And at one point I was actually trying to figure out how to get one for her. And then I started realizing how much Ed Ruscha's Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a really sweet idea, Stephen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Honestly, with something like that, it's definitely the idea that counts. I would, the I hope she knows that. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, she's going to get she, the replica. Now that I see yours, that's what, yeah. I, I mean, like you can't even tell. It's funny. No, I mean, only people that know Ed Ruscha know, you know, they, they can see. I did the same thing when I got my book advance. I was like, oh, maybe I could go buy the real thing. And then I was like, okay, that's not going to happen. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah I looked, I, this wasn't too long <laughs> where I was like, could I? And then I was like, are you out of your mind, Stephen? <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> okay, wait, where can people go for more information to connect with you? Send them uh, where you Stephen want to. com will give you me. There's a Devil's Dictionary page on that website as well. If you're interested in learning more about flow or training flow or anything like that, flowresearchcollective.com is there. And Devil's Dictionary is everywhere. Everywhere books are sold. And we're going to be giving away 10 copies. So all you have to do, as usual, our book giveaway is post this podcast on your Instagram stories, tag both Steven and myself, and we will be choosing 10 people. The first 10 people that message us will get a free copy of... Is it the first 10 people or is it the funniest 10 people? Well, honestly, it could be whatever you want. So what do you want them to? Well, how do we choose? Always if you can make us laugh. I'm just saying if you can make us laugh, you might bump up to the top of the list. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, Rosie, I'm letting you. You are the you are the mechanism. I'm not getting anywhere near this. But I am All right, saying, I'll decide. I'm just saying if we're laughing, <laughs> you might, if you were 11, for example, and, and 11 was really making us laugh, who's to say you wouldn't suddenly become 10? Because <laughs> these things jump around. I know. And here's the thing that those of of you that are listening to this, that listen to the podcast when it comes out, which this will be on a Friday, obviously. So happy Friday. If you're listening to this in real time, it's always the people who message us when it comes out that win. Don't don't wait to listen to the podcast. You give away 10 to the first 10. I'll give away three to the three funniest. Okay. And by the way, for the funniest, they'll be signed. (gasps) That's an incentive. All right. Yeah. There, there are and, the rules. And by the way, here's the thing. You got to make us both laugh. Okay. That's she's going to laugh and she's going to send it to me and be like, this is the shit I thought was funny. <laughs> she's probably right. not going to say it exactly like that. Um, but she might. You never I know. might. <laughs> he does get random text messages from me, so it better be worthwhile. Okay. So Final question. I'm curious if this is going to be different than your first one. And I'll tell you what the first answer was when, when you were on. Well, actually, no. How many times have I had you on the pod? I feel like you've been on for more than, than what you've been on two other times, right? Is this the third? 
It's either two or three. I don't know. Okay. Well, so anyway, let's see what your answer is. How do you feel radically loved? I'll bet the first time you asked me this question, it did go so well for you. That's what I think. Because I probably didn't know you as well as I know you now. So I'll bet it did not go so well. (laughs) I'll just say it had to do with MDMA. So you can go on. By the way, that answer still holds true. Okay. Right? Like that is still my answer, though I will also have to say, I mean, the dumb, obvious one off everything we're talking about, but like dogs is another answer. And I will also have to say from a, and you know, I'm saying this is an agnostic, but like when you have the environmental, the animal encounters, the environmental experiences, those experiences were like, oh, well, thank you, universe. You know what I mean? This morning I was hiking my dog to the back country. What was either a hawk or an eagle bank curve that was so fast it sounded like that. My first thought was, did something just break the sound barrier? And I looked over and I realized it was an eagle or, or, or maybe a vulture, but I've never seen a vulture fly that fast. But it like one of those where you're like, oh, wow, I just saw something or got something that like I, when I when those things happen, I'm like, yeah, I'm radically loved. Thank you. You know, appreciate it. I don't know if I'm saying thank you to anything. But like, I'm thanking the world for actually providing a place where there are birds that do shit like that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, that's, yeah, I love that. Definitely way different than the first answer. That's I for trust sure. you a little bit. I don't think <laughs> like, this is, I've come to realize that like, while you might be, what's the, I, there's, a, there's a technical term, airheaded new age. No, I'm not, never mind. Um, <laughs> I've come to trust your spirituality okay. as something that like, it, like, you know, it doesn't, you, you do the science homework. you like, I, I'm, I'm cool with having all those discussions with you. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, all the great advancements in, in my work on the science that have come between conversations between people on like scientists and people with spiritual beliefs and where do they meet and what do they mean? And you know what I mean? Like yeah. taking a dependent practice and using it with my clients for peak performance because I understand the neuroscience, but so there's a lot of, yeah. right. I just have to trust the person I'm talking to, to be able to, you know, have those conversations. And so, you know, I've gotten to know you over our three podcasts together and random texts which are usually about my book is coming out help. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, what do I help me? What I need to know what to do. No, but I, I really love, I mean, for me being that person that is rooted in spirituality, but my sort of like spirit animal is, is the neuroscience. Like I need the proof, right? Because I grew up in this magical sort of environment where it's like, oh, you just pray and it goes away. And it's like, wait, no, that's not true. <laughs> like not I need true. to actually, no, no, she went to jail. Actually, she <laughs> yeah. didn't, go, didn't go away. She went to jail. <laughs> no, <laughs> this did not work the way that you all said it was going to work. So let's really break down what is happening here. And so I always like to say that that's where because I am the all, like, I am overwhelmingly at my core, a pessimist that I needed to go into this world to be able to find that optimism, that hope, because I did see the reality of the world, you know, and I I didn't like what was there. And I knew that there were reasons that were explainable 
why the things in the world were happening the way they were. It wasn't like, oh, just, you know, bad things happen to bad people because that's just the way God wants it. It's like, what? No, that's fucking not true. That is so taking away responsibility of our own inability to take agency in our own lives and decisions and really understand who we are at our core, psychologically, at our core. Everything that we do, every action has a reaction. Like, how do we begin to take ownership in that and learn how we can be better, how we can optimize ourselves in in a more efficient, optimal human way so that we can make the world a better place, you know? So anyway, don't get me started. Here we go. I'm with you. I also found that the last time I got pulled over for speeding, it was an officer, God wanted me to do 85. He told me back there as I was coming to the 25 mile an hour zone that really bad things would happen in the world if I didn't do 85. And he didn't find that funny. That didn't go over so well. I personally thought it was funny. The friend sitting next to me, who was really stoned, thought he, he thought it was really funny. Oh my God, we didn't even talk about the getting stoned for the empaths. We didn't talk about the weed at all in the devil's dictionary. Yep. And, okay. and last hang out, I wanted an empathy expansion technology. I really, what I wanted is empathy actually doesn't, weed can make you more empathetic and it does give you that openness, but the dopamine that fires up pattern recognition, if you're already empathic, which thus the, the, the empath character, yeah. that ability, then you're really like, then you're really actually, then, then the marijuana really works. If you don't, if you haven't sort of, we don't, make you open sort of like one level beyond where you're willing to go normally sort of like it, but it's not fully expansive because right. People get paranoid when stone, but there's stuff that still scares them. So it's not a total opening, but it's usually the sphere of caring expands like one level out. So if you take somebody who's really empathic and already has nature related in this and all that other stuff and you fire up dopamine, and get a lot more pattern recognition from weed, plus the other things you're getting, yeah, you get empathic superpowers, of course. Oh, that is, yeah. Okay, so... I mean, the other thing is this, I mean, all I did is say that empaths are the cool hunters of the future, right? I mean, that's all I really did. And and by the way, empaths are the cool hunters of the future, right? If you're going out to spot cultural trends, and that was a cool hunter in the 90s, like... Think about where the world is going. Of course, you're going to want like empaths as cool unders, you know, going forward. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. Well, everybody that's listening to this, go get the Devil's Dictionary. If you haven't read any of Stephen's other works, please do yourself a favor and do it. If you're interested in any single topic that him and I discussed, <laughs> you, will, you will absolutely love his writing. And I will link the other podcasts that we've done on the show notes of this episode, as well as links to where to buy the books. Don't forget to post it so you can get your free copy and send this to a friend or anybody who you think would gain immense value because, hello, this was a really great conversation. Anybody who listens to it will gain great value innately. That being said, Stephen, thank you so much again for an incredible conversation, for your time, for your guidance, and for just being a fucking badass. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast, and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com. <laughs>